Baseball STL Podcast. JJ Bailey with you again as I am every week. And good news, Cardinal fans. Looks like I found a co-host for this thing. Chris Raby joins me again. And going forward, it looks like the two of us are going to be able to talk Cardinals side-by-side weekly on this podcast. If you don't know Chris, he is the host of KMOX Sports Open Line. He does pregame and postgame for Cardinals on the Mighty Mox. He's a smart man. He knows his baseball. And the two of us have a good time talking St. Louis sports side by side. So today, the two of us are breaking down the organization. Jaime Garcia has been a godsend. He's really saved this rotation, but is this rotation as solid as it looks on paper? Do they have to go get another pitcher? If they do, who could they move to maybe secure that arm? How strong is the system really? Where are the bats? Where are the arms? We close it down with a little bit of talk about the draft. Why'd the Cardinals do what they did? And do you trust it? And should you trust it? I'm glad to have you aboard. I'm super lucky to have Chris aboard. Find us on Twitter at the JJ Bailey at C Raby. Enjoy the conversation and I'll see you at the end. Well, first thing we got to talk about Jaime Garcia. Uh, another performance Friday night. Eight innings, looked like he was in complete control. Four hits, none of them left the infield. All of them had plays made on them, just couldn't get the out. One of them could have been an error. This is another in a string of starts for him that have established it's no longer about can he make it back, can he last, it's how good can he be. And... I'm going to say, and and you correct me if I'm wrong here, I'm going to say that what the Cardinals have gotten from Jaime Garcia is no worse than what they would have gotten from Adam Wainwright in in his starts. I mean, he is essentially, after his first start with the five walks, I mean, he hasn't walked anybody in 30 innings. He has essentially pitched about as well as an ace could pitch. Do you agree? Yeah, he's been really, really good. And, you know, it seems like you almost hit yourself over the head because you've said it so many times, but when healthy, J.J., his stuff is as good as anyone's on the staff and as good as anyone that I've seen. Last night was unbelievable. Um, He's keeping the ball down. He's getting a lot of ground balls. He's getting a lot of swings and misses. And especially uh, the use of the changeup, I think, has, has really, really stood out to me. And when you have that kind of stuff, when you have... Him working with Yachty, and I think an underrated part of this, too, even though he's been getting a lot of ground balls and, and there haven't been a lot of hard hit balls against him, is you've got a vastly improved defense over the last couple yes. of years than what he pitched in front of in, in 2013 in limited time, and then certainly in 2012 and, and certainly 2011. But looking at his start that he made on Friday night and the game score of 76, you know, statistically it's like the second best start of his career, I want to say. Second only to a start in 2011 against Milwaukee. He had a great start in Game 2 of the 2011 World Series. And, you know, he said that the surgery he had to correct the issue last year may have corrected a lot of issues. So you hope that's the case. Is he going to go out there and throw innings of shutout baseball every time out? No, but he's locating the ball, he's not walking anyone, and he's being economical with his pitches. And for a guy that hasn't pitched that much over the last couple of seasons, I think being able to be economical with your pitches, keep the pitch count low, and get deep into games is huge. Well, and I think you mentioned that surgery. He said in the tunnel when he announced he was going to have it that there was a chance that the physicians told him that this could have been the underlying cause of everything. 
that he had been dealing with, that they had been treating symptoms, but that the underlying cause was there and that this could possibly address it. If that's true, it's pretty clear the Cardinals want to keep him around 100 pitches, between 90 and 100. Mike Matheny said, you know, there was the discussion about maybe sending him out for the ninth, but at that time, given his history, as Mike said, you know, we, we felt it was time to hand that over to the bullpen. Some of that came with him kind of resting, then the Cardinals put up two runs, and it's kind of hard to get charged yeah. back up to go out. But you mentioned the economy of it. If he can give 90 to 100 pitches, and that equals seven innings of strong strong starts, I mean, I, he, he is now stepping up into that role in the way that maybe a few hoped Lance Lynn would. For sure. He's he's coming out and essentially taking control of games. He, you know, there's a few guys on like Carlos Martinez served as stopper in Colorado. Obviously Michael Waka has thrown tremendously well. He's still very young. Jaime Garcia seems to have that synthesis of a tremendous amount of skill combined with a little bit of experience and you start looking at him as is maybe right now the best pitcher on the staff. Yeah, again, in terms of stuff, I think that that is uh, something that you could argue. It's hard to argue with the results that Michael Waka has gotten. It's hard Mm -hmm. to argue with the results that Lance Lynn has gotten. And again, it's unfortunate, but I think that in my mind, there's always going to be kind of a, well, this is great, but But, what's the next setback going to be for Jaime? And again, it would be wonderful if... You know, he goes on to pitch this year in the next couple of years and doesn't have to miss a start and he ends up being healthy and the surgery helped. But uh, again, I've said from the beginning of spring training that the burden of proof is still on him to prove that he can go out there and and put together a full season. So if he does, it's great. And it's great in the face of the Cardinals, whether or not Lance Lynn is back in a week or two, needing to add some pitching at the deadline. Whatever he can give you is a... Huge, huge, huge plus for a team that's really going to need some innings and for a team that's probably at some point going to have to be mindful of the innings of Michael Waka and Carlos Martinez. I think so. And I'm just briefly before we move on to that point, I'm wondering if that, that burden of proof and the fact that all of us have said it's great but, that but always kind of following every bit of praise for him, if that's starting to chafe with him a little bit. I think Friday night, after the game, he was a little terse after what is arguably the best performance of his career. He answered the first couple questions with one word, whether they were yes or no or not. He seemed kind of aggravated. And I'm wondering if that is starting to carry on to the mound. He's carrying that with him. He's he's tired of having to prove it, and he's trying to demonstrate that this discussion needs to change, maybe. I would hope that he doesn't care what the media or the fans say, he would probably tell you that he doesn't care. I would believe that. I think that's kind of the way he's always been. He's always been kind of the soft-spoken, to-the-point guy. He's always been the guy who says he wants to let the pitching talk for him, and I don't have a problem with that. But the reality of the situation is, we've seen this before, he was pitching well the last couple of years uh, until he had to be shut down. So, again, it's great what you've gotten from him. I hope that you continue to get from him. Uh, what you've seen over the last few weeks, but he's made what four starts, five starts. Like yeah. to this point, it's still a very, very small sample size, and he's still going to have to prove that you know with regular work he can continue to produce like this. But you know, so far so good, and you couldn't ask for a better start if you're the Cardinals. No, and unfortunately, the Cardinals, even with that start, have a looming innings gap always out there. You know, Lance Lynn going on the DL was a perfect illustration of just how fragile this rotation is. I mean, you look it's 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 funny to talk about it as fragile because it now exists in a world without Adam Wainwright and you're still seeing Carlos Martinez throw gems. You're seeing Jaime Garcia doing what he's you know, what we've been talking about. Lance Lynn is is pitched like he has the last couple of years. Michael Walker, absolutely dominant. 
Lackey has come in and performed better than he has in the last couple seasons. But all of that hangs somewhat on a knife's edge, wouldn't you say? I mean, one guy goes down. One person needs to be shut down for a little bit. And the next man up is Tyler Lyons. Oh, yeah, and that's why I think you've you've seen the Cardinals be cautious, and especially with Lance Lynn, <clears throat> excuse me, be cautious uh, with the forearm issue. You know, it's something that maybe he could play through. It's something that maybe you could deal with, but why even deal with it? You have the yeah. best record in a major league baseball. Jaime, after his start, your starting rotations ERA dipped down under 2.99. Uh, or I'm sorry, under three to two point nine nine. So so mm. the pitching's been great. You have a bullpen that, for the most part, is is well rested right now. So why not throw Lance on the DL and just say we're not even going to mess with this. We're not going to wonder when he uh, winces in the third inning of his next start if it's something related to the forum. We're not going to worry about him having to go in and get reevaluated. And if he feels as good as he said that he already feels on Friday night, then. You know, you deal with it, you move on, and in the grand scheme of things, at the end of the year, if you have a healthy Lance Lynn and you've avoided yeah. issues, again, uh, it's worth missing a couple of starts. But like you said, man, injuries are a real thing. And you look around Major League Baseball, it's something that, that is happening to everyone. And the other kind of wrinkle into that is as we talk about needing to add pitching, needing to add pitching, everyone in baseball is going to have to add pitching. I really yeah. think that every team in baseball is going to have to add pitching. Look at the Kansas City Royals, you know. Uh, I know that they are going to get Chris Medlin off the DL in a bit. He could maybe give them something, but they're a team that's probably going to look to add starting pitching. Look around baseball. Yeah, you have Joe Blanton taking starts. Yeah, I mean, the Dodgers are going to look to add starting pitching. The Cubs are going to look to add pitching. Uh, Teams in contention around baseball and around the National League are going to look to add pitching. So not only is the market going to be a seller's market, but... There's not going to be that much out there, so that even adds on to the onus of trying to get as much as you can from the guys that you have and taking the pressure off of whoever you're going to bring in from the outside. Because, you know, you pulled the lackey move last year, that was fine, but you also gave up a pretty good prospect for Justin Masterson, a guy that gave you nothing, and you don't hmm. want to be faced with that situation again this year. No, I think, and and that's sort of the guy that you'd imagine the Cardinals would look to add. You don't see them making a play for a, a, a gigantic name, and I say that only not because they wouldn't want a Cole Hamels or a David Price or, you know, Zimmerman or just take your pick of any of those bigger names that are on walk years, but they're, they're, they don't have the wallet in terms of prospects to deal to get one of those guys is I mean that's that's how I look at them that well, I just can't imagine that yeah. they have enough value to pedal to pull in a name that big that keeps them still in contention. Yeah, well, I, you know I think you have it if you want to pull the trigger, but for those guys in walk years, how much of a premium are you willing to give up to not have any control, and how much of a cost control premium are you willing to give up? Even if you're going to re-sign a guy, like let's say that you're going to trade for whoever. David Price, Doug Fister, Zimmerman, one of the guys that, you know, is a is a frontline starter but's going to be a free agent. So, if you trade prospects for them, not only are you diluting a farm system that has already been diluted by virtue of Tavares's passing, the trade of Ramsey last year, the trade mm-hmm. of Tyrell Jenkins, Shelby Miller, Alan Craig, Joe Kelly, I mean, those guys are all already gone. So, not and- only are you pulling out of that pool, but you're also saying, all right, we're also giving up a guy who, you know, I don't know, pick a name out of the hat, whether it's Marco Gonzalez, I'm sure we'll get to this, or Tim Cooney, or 
Stephen Piscotty or even a younger guy like Rob Kaminsky, whoever, any of the Cardinals prospects. I'm not saying those are guys that they've talked about trading, but pull any of them up. Not only are you trading for someone, and then even if you re-sign the guy that you trade for, then you're spending an additional $100 million when you would have been on the hook for whatever, five years of control before any of these prospects even reached arbitration. So it's the uncost-controlled guys, and it's the control that you have over them over the next four or five years that you're also giving up. And financially, that's a big hit as well. So you have the resources to do it. You have the prospects to do it. But, um, again, that's why a guy like Cole Hamels is, is so attractive because the team knows that even if they're giving up young, cost-controlled prospects for him, they're getting four years of cost control back in Hamels. So it's kind of a balancing act. And like you said, it's easy for you know fans or us in the media to sit around and you know kind of play fantasy baseball and say, trade this guy, this guy, this guy. But again, I think that cost-controlled young players are, are becoming more and more valued year after year after year. Look at the trade last year that sent David Price to Detroit. It wasn't prospects that Tampa got back. They were apparently asking for a lot of prospects. They didn't get prospects back. They got Drew Smiley. You know, Austin Jackson went to Seattle. It was it was major yeah. league guys that were being traded in that deal because guys and, and teams don't want to part with their prospects. I was shocked the Cubs got Addison Russell from the A's for Justin yeah. Marge and Jason Hamill. And the A's, after trading Addison Russell, after trading Ioannis Cespedes, control as well, they had to go and trade Josh Donaldson and trade a couple of guys uh, just to get some prospects back and start to rebuild their farm system over the offseason. Well, and, that's, and that, that Cubs trade has, I mean, I can't imagine Unreal. that they got away with getting Addison Russell and then getting Hamill back. Yeah. I mean, that was... And maybe getting some margin back after this year when he's a free agent. Yeah, there's already discussions that, that, that he's a possible ad for them. And that's, I mean, that's unbelievable. That, that's, I mean, that's an absolute steal for them. The Cardinals obviously yeah. wouldn't be able to to get any of that sort of I mean that's that to me is a, a an anomaly deal. But when you say they do have the prospects to move it and when I say they don't my argument is that they don't have the prospects to secure a major arm without crippling their system. Yeah, that's fair. They they, they don't like if you had looked at this system uh last year at the beginning of the year when there were Hamill talks and David Price yeah. talks, you could come up with a pretty attractive package, um, especially considering Oscar Tavares's cost control certainty and right. All of a sudden, with him gone, that really takes Randall Grichik off the table. At the yeah. beginning of last year, you expected big things from Alan Craig, which made Grichik and Piscotty, I think, in some eyes, more expendable. And again, th- this isn't anything based on conversations I've had with anyone in the organization. This no, just, yeah, just looking at the cards. Yeah. yeah, all of a sudden now... Um, it's thin. I mean, and again, a lot of I, those, a lot of those chips are already on the team. Yeah, I mean, exactly, the, the, and and playing major roles. And if you take them, if you trade Gritchick, then if you trade John Jay, if you trade Peter Borges, well, then who's going to play in the outfield? Yeah, like something's got to give at some point. And I agree with you. While you may have the chips, your flexibility in moving them has gotten increasingly limited over the last year, year and a half. When you look at you you move through the system trying to find bats that you could move or that you that could possibly aid the franchise going forward. You got Stephen Piscotty, not on the forty man. He's obviously the biggest name. You go through the rest of the system. You know, there's uh, you know Wilson is playing well. Tilson is now finally healthy. He is playing well. They're not exactly ready for the call up, but they're starting they're starting to gain momentum. Sierra Mags is a a you know, organizational player of the year, but he's not a thumper. He's just a an average guy. So you start looking through there. 
What's the next? He's also in low A. Yeah, he's yeah he's in low A, and I'm and I'm just looking at their value. Where's the big power threat that you could trade or that you could earmark for a potential call up? Um, I'm not <clears throat> sure that there is one. Uh, I don't know, Dan Johnson maybe or Dan Johnson, but he is a he's a journeyman. I'm, I'm not I'm not sure that you have it. I'm yeah. not sure that you have it. And in some ways. I think that's a little bit indicative of of the way baseball is is moving. And you thought you had that guy in Reynolds coming off the bench, and and if Randall Gritchick was in AAA right now, I would say that it's Randall Gritchick. But right. or in or, or in and he's been in the majors for a while now. But Adams projected to be that yeah, guy, a potential yeah. thirty home run and, guy, and maybe he will next year, or the year after. Maybe Colton Wong will be that guy. But um, I think it's kind of where the game is headed because. I know everyone over the last couple of years has said, well, you need a power-hitting first baseman or a power-hitting right-handed bat off the bench. Well, where do you find that guy? Like, like yeah. If you look at the market, Mark Reynolds was that guy last year. You know, A couple of years before that, it was Carlos Pena was that guy. Chris Davis could be that guy in this year's free agent class. But yeah. there aren't a ton of them out there, and the ones that are there typically come with a lot of the things that teams are – uh, getting farther and farther away from and high strikeout rate, low walk rate, um, you know, very, uh, very, very skewed advanced numbers. And as teams more and more value getting on base, creating runs, defense, typically that's not the skill set that comes with a power hitting bat. And I think that's why Adams had the potential to be special is because he, he plays a very, very solid first base. Randall Gritchick plays a very, very good outfield. Yeah, but fantastic Again, outfield. what do both those guys have in common? The OBP is not great. So, you know, it, it's hard to find that guy. I'm not sure if the Cardinals have that guy right now in the system, and uh, I certainly don't think that they're unique around baseball and, and maybe lacking that right now. No, I think the game is, you know, there's been a lot of talks and a lot of think pieces about our doubles the new home run. You know, is the, is the home run waning? Maybe, and maybe some of the organizational structures will change, and that'll change the role and value of some of these guys in the system. But if you flip the other side and you go to the pitching, I, I feel like we've seen pretty much all of the horses in the Cardinal stable now I, in terms of ones that could be immediately co- contributing. Tim Cooney has pitched well since his debut, but you know the, the word is he's still developing. We still need to work on him. Tyler Lyons has been up and down plenty of times. You kind of get a sense for what he is. Marco's on the rehab. He's probably obviously the most promising arm that you could mention. But then to to really get excited about some names and names that are getting traction, you, you, gotta go, you, you gotta go, go way down. Yeah. You go to you go to Reyes. You go to Kaminsky. You go to Flaherty. You go to Bearclaw. Like those guys are still a, a a a healthy time away. You know, Reyes could see perhaps a bullpen role in 2016. But even then, I mean, he's projected to be a starter. So and again, then you have to start the clock. So then, then exactly we get back talking about that cost certainty and. And the cost control, and, and if you want to do that. I think that Marco certainly is the guy that, if healthy this year, all of a sudden you wouldn't be talking as much about depth if he came up and performed and, and took that next step. And that's not to say that, again, he still doesn't have some things that they want him to continue to work on in AAA. I think that he does, especially with yeah. his curveball. Um, but... All of a sudden, again, an injury, and you're kind of looking at the depth and scratching your head a little bit, and all the guys, as you said, the the really, really high-ceiling guys are are still down there. And they're there. I mean, I I saw uh, on Thursday night, 
the two games of a doubleheader at Palm Beach where Alex Reyes and then Rob Kaminsky. The future's bright, yeah, and you've got guys with really, really high ceilings, but again, we're still talking about A-ball, and we're still talking about guys that are years and years away. So, yeah, an injury here, an injury there. All of a sudden, the depth is really, really tested, and that's why Mosellock always says, you know, I don't like to talk about how much pitching we have. At the beginning of this year, at the beginning of last year, it was you got so many arms, and you got guys yeah. competing for spots. It was well, the best rotation in baseball. Yeah, Anointed you, the best rotation in baseball on opening day last yeah, season. Yeah, you do, and you do while they're healthy, but, you know, it's not a guarantee that everyone's going to stay healthy. No, and, I mean, you remember what happened to the rotation last year. They lost 60% in the middle of the season. I mean, you, you have pitching yeah. until you don't. I mean, and it's like money. Had, and then you had... That three-game series in Baltimore were on Friday and Saturday. Justin Masterson and John Lackey gave up like 60 home runs each. Yeah, so yeah, it was it, like 404. Yeah, I mean that was that was a brutal series, and that illustrated just kind of the fickle nature of all of it. And I think moving moving well, past and that here and and not to get <laughs> off topic, but um, just to illustrate how hard it can be to find pitching. Mm. and how hard it can be to find pitching around Major League Baseball. Not only did the Cardinals last year trade a legitimate prospect in James Ramsey to the Cleveland Indians to get Justin Masterson, who was then just absolutely a a non-factor, was was not good whatsoever for the Cardinals. But then Justin Masterson and his agent turn around, and he gets 10 million dollars from the Red Sox. Like, it's absurd. Just, and that just shows how hard it is to find pitch. Ten million dollars. Yeah. Ten million dollars. Maybe more than Lance Lynn. That is a Maybe se- more than Francisco Liriano. That is the equivalent of coming out in a local community theater, tripping, forgetting your lines, and falling off stage, and then getting cast in a Broadway play. Yes. So... Hey, good on him and uh, good on his agent. But I mean, that's my goodness. Th- that is the market. And and with that in mind, I I wanted to do this briefly. This one of the questions we got: Who could realistically be packaged in a trade? And this is, I mean, it depends on where you go. But what guys at this point? Not trying to put together a deal. You know, we're not going to do franchise mode for MLB here. Just <coughs> excuse me. What kind? What guys on the team right now or in the system right now? Do you feel have could be earmarked for, okay, I can see where this guy is a movable piece. It's a good question. Um, I'll, I'll I'll put it to you this way without getting into specifics because I don't know, and, and it's so hard to do that. And it's so hard to know what the market's going to look like. But at this point, I would be shocked. I would be absolutely, you know, Mouth on the floor. Thunderstruck. If either Randall Gritchick or Carlos Martinez were involved in anything, even if it's for Cole Hamels um, and his control moving forward, I would be floored. I would would agree with that, yeah. Knowing how they feel about both those guys, but especially Gritchick. And some of the conversations that I had after the trade that brought Gritchick and Borges here and how that has even progressed to now, I would be absolutely shocked. Um I think you're kind of talking mid-tier pitching, guys that maybe would have an opportunity with another organization but might not with the Cardinals, someone like Acuna, uh, someone yeah. like Pitrick, um, maybe someone like Tyler Lyons. It wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if Lyons cobbles together a couple of really, really good starts and then maybe there's a fit. And those guys would be cheap for another team too. Now, that's not going to get you, you know, Hamels or Price or Fister, but could that get you Ian Kennedy from the Padres? Yeah, probably. Um, yeah. 
could a couple of lower level prospects with higher ceilings get you someone like Scott Casimir uh, and Ben Zobrist from Oakland? Yeah, maybe. Um, but again, like you said, I think that they would love if Mark Reynolds took the first baseman job and ran with it. They would love if if Lance Lynn came back healthy, if if Marco came back healthy, um, because then you're not looking to add starters. You're looking to add complementary pieces. You're not looking to add a first baseman. You're looking to bolster the bench. You're not looking to add a guy who's going to start in a playoff series. You're looking to add a guy who can give you some innings and slide into the bullpen. Yeah, who will chew up time in August who will allow you to rest players who need rest. Yeah, you're, 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 looking, you're looking for, looking for a parachute. Masterson. Yeah, yeah. You're, and I hope it's not Justin Masterson, but you're, you're looking <laughs> well, for Well, he's worth $10 million, You're Chris. looking for Ian Kennedy. Um, you're looking for Mark Burley. You're looking for Dan Heron. And those guys, a lot easier to find than, you know, not only Cole Hamels, but dealing with Ruben tomorrow. Yeah, and I think, and I'm sorry if that doesn't answer your question. No, I no, just, no, no. I, I, I it's I, so hard to say. That is, those are know, those guy, are guys. Guy, guy. Like, I'd be shocked if they traded Kaminsky or Reyes or Flair. It's just in this day and age, unless you're getting a superstar or a star player back with a great contract, you're not trading young stud. Pro- you're not doing it because. Um, the it's the, what's the difference between becoming you know the Mets from a few no years doubt. ago where you're shelling out millions for guys that haven't pitched an inning for you? Yeah. So you're right. You're right. I think I think Xavier Scruggs is a is a name that I passed over in in the 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 thumper talks. He he does have the home run power. Uh, you know his average has has listed a little, but he's a guy that I would potentially earmark for a trade because he doesn't. They could have brought him up for the bench a couple times. They have not. I think that. You know, there's been a couple writers uh, in the press box who have mentioned offhand that he might be good enough to play first base at other places around the league. Maybe, yeah. He he could maybe fit that mold. I mean, again, he's not going to bring in a you know a, a secretariat, but he could bring in he could bring in a, a horse that you can take out to pasture every once in a while, and it'll chew up some oats for you. That'd Who's be fine. The horse that that fell and broke its leg and had to be taken out to pasture. Eight bells. Yeah, Justin maybe. Yeah, eight, he, bells. Eight, um, eight bells. Who's? Uh, I, I forgot. Potential, I don't know about Thumper, but but a guy who has played very well since coming back, albeit in a week, is Tommy Pham. And I don't want to leave yes. him out of the conversation as well, because he's a guy um, who could come up and provide you with a couple of things and, and be a bat off the bench as well. Yeah, he's got he's got versatile talent. He's, he's a guy that... You have, but. And he made, I believe he made his debut against Araldis Chapman in Cincinnati as part of the intense immersion program yeah. last season. Um, yeah, he's a guy that... You got to see how he rebounds from injury. A lot of these guys are coming back from injuries down in the system. You got to see how they shake out. But I think he's a guy that gives you some flexibility. Could be a trade piece. Could allow you to move another outfielder as a trade piece. Here's a question for you with a specific name. Do you think Stephen Piscotty is even allowed to be brought up in these discussions? Um, <clears throat> right now, I I don't think so. And the reason I say that is because. I know that you have all these outfielders right now, and I know that everyone's talking about, you know, moving this guy or that guy to first base, and why can't Grichik or Holiday play first base? And you can trade John Jay or you can trade Borges, but the reality of the situation is we don't know if Jason Hayward's going to be back. We don't know yeah. if the Cardinals will pick up Matt Holiday's 2017 option. So you're looking at a very real scenario where next year you could have an opening, the year after that you could have an opening. All of a sudden, then who plays where? And Not to mention of, any injuries that might happen yeah, along the and way. John Jay's got a two-year deal. Peter Borges uh, is up after this year. Um, so, again, 
I know that it can seem like you've got all these guys and you've got uh, all these outfielders and let's let's move this one, let's move that one, let's move this one, that w- let's move that one. But again, you don't know if Hayward's going to be back. You don't know what the future holds for Holiday. Then you need outfielders and you need guys that won't be that expensive. And Randall yeah. Gritchick and Stephen Piscotty uh, in either the corners or in center and right, respectively, not a bad option right now. If, if you're yeah. looking a couple of years down the road. Now, if you re-sign Hayward to a five- or six-year deal, maybe that changes things. But at this point right now, um, especially the way Piscotty's still learning to play the outfield and, and still learning and growing and, and maturing. And working on his swing, too, yeah, like, like trying I, to find I, that power. I would power. be surprised if, if he was moved at this stage. And, and it would be potentially another organization taking a flyer on a guy, too, that, that's still adjusting to a new position. Yeah, and I wonder, I wonder how much Hayward's performance this year has really complicated these the thought process for the organization because if he was tearing it up you're going to work on signing him as soon as you can with him struggling right now possibly rebounding you'd be looking at is he a guy that you try and move now to a team that's trying to rebuild are you a guy are you trying to hold on to him to see if he pans out to sign him i think he complicates this decision with all these outfielders to possibly move them in and out of trade conversations yeah definitely and i think we've seen him be a little bit better um, at the plate, is is it what you were hoping you'd get? No, but again, man, I look at Johnny Peralta's numbers last year over the first couple of months of the season, almost identical yeah. to what Jason Hayward did. Yep. Sometimes it just takes time, and the fact of the matter remains, you know, it's so easy to, to wring our hands over this, over that. We just spent, you know, 20 minutes talking about who you can go out, who you can trade, who you can get. You're the best team in baseball, and yep. you've done that with... Injuries to your ace, injuries to your starting first baseman, injuries to your eighth inning guy, now injuries to your left fielder, and injury to and your, your center your, fielder your to start. Two starter, your center fielder, you lost Gritchick for a while, you've got nothing from Hayward. You're the best team in baseball. So, in that vein, you can kind of afford to live with what Hayward's got and move yes. forward. Maybe it changes the market value. Maybe it changes what you're asking for. But... Again, when, when big league teams, and, and I'm sure John Mosellock, when they evaluate what Jason Hayward's going to be, they project what he's going to be over the next three to five years as a 25-year-old coming into his prime, you don't project it based on the 62, 63 games that you've played this year. You project it based on a whole lot of things. Yeah. And you project it based on past performance on his body, on learning a new park, on learning a new division. And I still think that Jason Hayward, and I know that some of it is kind of stat nerd numbers that don't always show up in the box score, but I still think he's a tremendous player. He's still a two to three win player a year, even if he's hitting 260 with, with 15 home runs. Well, and his speed makes him that too. Yeah, no doubt. And the defense too. And at age 25, you talk about control and certainty, I think it would be a huge get to re-sign him, even with some of the struggles that he's had. I don't know if that happens this year. And again, it certainly, as you said, affects your plans and and kind of the fluidity of, of who you are or are not entertaining offers for. Well, in that vein, I mean, you talk about certainty. I want to wrap this up quick, talking a little bit about the draft. Uh, we saw the Cardinals break a little bit from the pattern we've gotten used to from looking at polished college pitchers First three picks were all guys out of high school. They haven't done that since 1980. They they were looking for 
young guys with high ceilings as opposed to polished guys who could contribute within a year or two. Uh, you know, some of that, taking taking those bats the way they did, looking for power the way they did, taking a flyer on a guy that plays in a league in Michigan who at times started with 1-1 one, one counts. Um, to me, that looks like they're trying you to... You love f- that. that. That's your favorite It your is favorite anecdote of the whole draft it's, is that Nick Plummer played in a league that started with 1-1 one, one counts. Does it, he made two-plus million dollars for a slot bonus. Bro, you talk about pace of game. Yo, I know. Yeah, I know. It's perfect. One, one yeah, one, one, one counts in Michigan. And that guy, and, and not, that's not a knock on him. I mean, obviously, he, he, yeah. he was scouted. Everyone saw him. But it just seems crazy that... You know, for the pattern that we'd seen for so long, that this is a guy that gets drafted first by the Cardinals, and to me, it looks like you know they're they're looking for for bats. They're looking for high power ceiling guys that could replenish a system that is is missing some authority at the plate. I think so. It was an aggressive draft too. You look at taking Kep Brown in the tenth round. I love that pick. By well, the way. by multiple reports now, say that he's going to go to the University of Miami, honor his commitment. That's a hundred and sixty thousand dollar gamble that you're not going to get back. So they were aggressive, man, and it's so hard. Again, not to sound like a cop out, it's so hard to evaluate a class not only until you see who does and doesn't sign. And for how much, but also until you see what these guys start to project as. You're talking about guys drafted, some of them, that you don't know what position they're going to fall on. But but I like the aggressiveness. I like getting some of the high-ceiling guys. And you know what? Sometimes to replenish a farm system with high-ceiling guys, you got to take some risks. And those risks can happen not only in rounds 1 through 5, 1 through 10 with, with your with your slot money, but can also happen in rounds 30 and 40 and can happen with, um, you know, a guy like Veerling drafted from CBC. You don't know if he's going to sign, but another high upside guy who could pitch, who could play the outfield. So I like it, and we'll see how the class uh, actually ends up signing, and, and we'll see how many guys they get into the system where they all start. But certainly you're being aggressive, man, and, uh, you know, it was Chris Correa's first draft as the director of scouting and I think he put his stamp on it yeah and I think I mean we talk about you can't you know you talk about the comps to the guys what they project to be who they project to be you look at some of these names like Seth Blair Zach Cox you know Brett Wallace Clay Mortensen these are all first round picks for the Cardinals that you haven't you know you haven't seen or heard much from since I mean it doesn't always work out that way but I think that that Kep Brown pick was interesting because that was a guy that was hampered by injury pretty pretty severe injury Achilles tear but he projected by some to have some of the best raw power in the draft. Oh, no and, doubt. And to take him in the 10th round, I thought was kind of a clever move by the Cardinals because you can still allocate that bonus pool how you want through those first 10 rounds. And I wasn't exactly sure how they were going, if they were going to try and throw more at him to get him to sign to leave Miami behind. a lot more. Yeah. Know. But obviously, I mean, they did the smart move. You just you got to take a flyer on a guy. Yeah. But the fact that they took him knowing that he probably was going to go to Miami – they were still targeting high-ceiling power guys, and I think that says a lot about where the system is right now. Yeah, and I think, um, and again, this is just me kind of speculating, but maybe that's kind of a warning shot around baseball. You know, we're going to be aggressive with these guys. We've got an incredible track record of development, and we're going to try to get our hands on some of these guys. When I talked to Chris Correa on Thursday about it, he said, listen, I knew in the 11th round I wasn't going to get a shot at Kep Brown because of the way the draft is. And without yeah. getting into the minutia of it, the fact that a bunch of other teams could have grabbed him in the 11th round and had a much lower risk threshold than the Cardinals drafting him in the 10th round. Basically, they wouldn't lose the money if they didn't sign him. Right. So 
he said, I decided that I was going to take that risk and, and, and try to get him. And, and who knows? Maybe something changes. But, you know, even if he ends up heading to Miami, I know Chris Gray is proud of, of what they're able to present to draft picks and say, these mm. are the guys we've developed. This is how we're going to develop you. This is why you should sign and become a St. Louis Cardinal. And well, if you're a Cardinals fan right now, I always say, J.J., the term I use is the benefit of the doubt. They have earned the benefit of the doubt. John Moselock and his staff over the last five or ten years. Look at the again, starting it, lineup. Yeah, uh, the the starting it, lineup right now doesn't no prove doubt, that. Man. And if you're a fan, you feel pretty damn good about that. I do. And and, and, and like just, just evaluating from the outside, it's hard, it's hard to go against any of their strategy, even if they make a radical shift like they did. I mean, you look right now, Colton Wong, as we're talking right now, Colton Wong hits a triple. Colton Wong, product of the system. Randall Gritchick up there, acquired by trade, but the system identified him as somebody that they needed to go get. You have Matt Adams playing first base. Obviously, he's hurt, but he's he's a guy that they went and got uh, that they they brought up. Rather, you have Yadier Molina behind the plate. You know, like they they have a, a very concrete and smart system yeah. to to fill needs and find guys that fit well, and that extends to draft picks. Well, and I think on, that that's on, yeah. that's why I'll forgive the one and one counts and the Michigan ball. Because well, well you, you know they've got a plan for everyone. Yes. And, and you know that organizationally from rookie ball to low A to high A to double A to triple A, there's going to be a consistency in the way that guys are developed. And, you know, the results speak for themselves. So you're right, man. And not only that, but the results speak for themselves. Not, And this is, you know, without sounding too rah-rah, you're not bringing guys up. You know, Marco Gonzalez is a great example. Colton Wong two years ago. A uh, great example when he made his debut in 2013 in August. Kevin um, Segrist, Trevor Kevin Rosenthal, Segrist, Seth Maness. Seth Maness, Michael Walker. You're not bringing guys up when you're 15 games out in September. You're bringing guys up when you're in pennant races and you're getting results. Yeah, I think the fact that you could throw Marco Gonzalez in there in the playoffs and he pitched the way he did, the fact that Trevor Rosenthal is one of the best closers in baseball and he's in his early 20s, that Seth Maness has been so reliable. They have guys that not only are like – potential major league contributors one day. There's guys that who came up and immediately were regular staples. And here's why I can't evaluate the draft class right now, because Trevor Rosenthal was a shortstop. Yeah. <laughs> Carlos Martinez. Uh, Sam Tui Valala, who's another guy that we didn't even talk about. Yeah. Another high-ceiling guy. Was a shortstop. So, you know, it's, it's fun, and it's part of why I love baseball, man. I love the not only – day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, but I love the year-to-year progression. It's not just for the team, but for the farm system. And you can yeah. follow a lot of these guys for four or five years until they get up to the big leagues, and it's fun. And it's fun to do it when you're not just looking towards the future like the Astros recently, like the Cubs recently. You're doing it while you're enjoying the present. Well, and that's something that, yeah, the the the, the closing argument of this podcast should absolutely be that, that even with all this hemming and hawing about the rotation and, and talking about potential injuries and trades. St. Louis is still playing host to the best baseball in yeah, the majors right fun, now. it's fun, man. It's really fun. And I think the Royals series this weekend, uh, awesome, because both of these teams have done it very, very similarly. Homegrown guys, developed consistency. Um, I think you've done it while you have focused on, you know, albeit in different ways, defense. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've done it while you've focused on a strong pitching staff, strong bullpens, and 
That's where the game is headed, man. Look at the Pirates. Look at the Royals. Look at the Cardinals. Look at the Giants. I mean, that's how you're doing it. Granted, you'll get your Dodgers who go out and spend a ton of money and win. You'll get your Nationals who do it with a ton of offense. You'll get your Nationals. But, you know, it's fun to watch pitching, defense, uh, base running. That picks up the offense. And, man, it's, it's been fun to watch this team through the first whatever it is, 35 40% of the season. Well, it's been, yeah, 100 games to go. It's been fun to talk about them. I appreciate you taking the time. Anytime, buddy. All right. That was our conversation. I put out a request for Twitter questions prior to this podcast, and unfortunately, well, as Twitter goes, it's not necessarily unfortunate or fortunate, people were a little bit hesitant. I got a couple questions, they were fun, but they're from people that I know. So if you have topics that you think we should discuss, and honestly, at this point, I don't really care. It could be Cardinal Baseball, it could be Marvel movies, it could be anything you want. Whatever you want to hear us talk about, we want to talk about it, because... You know, there's a lot of editing that goes into this. There's a lot of scheduling that goes into recording this. We do it because we enjoy doing it, and we enjoy thinking that people out there enjoy listening to it. So if you're a fan of the podcast, if you want to fire a question our way, I really encourage you to find us on Twitter, at DJJ Bailey for myself, at C-Rabe, C-H-R-A-B-E. To respond to it, we'll shout you out on Twitter, we'll we'll shout you out on email, whatever you want to do. Really, I've just been so excited by the amount of listeners that we've gotten since we've started, the amount of subscribers that we've gotten, that I, I was really encouraged, considering I knew nothing about podcasts six, seven months ago, and we have all these listeners and all these subscribers. I want to make it as fun as possible. So, if you want to join the podcast, if you want to fire a question off, I would love to have it. If you want to tell me that I'm an idiot, I would love to do that too. That wouldn't be the first time that's happened to me this year. Either way, thank you for listening. Thank you for following. We really appreciate it. It means a lot. I will see you again next week.